One of my favorite authors of all time, I discovered him when I was in Bible school, is a man by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Some of you may have heard of him. He was a pastor during the uh, Nazi years. Obviously, he began as a pastor before the Nazis came to power. But he quickly recognized that when they came to power, first of all, they were very much anti-biblical, anti-Christ, anti-God, anti-church, anti-truth. He understood this. And while other pastors were, were following the Third Reich, while other pr- pastors were, were uh, looking at Hitler and what he was doing at the time, and actually going along with Hitler, and even saying, well, Hitler's doing some things right. He's providing jobs for everybody. Uh, he's brought everybody out of, the, out of the slump that was caused by the First World War. He started giving jobs to everybody. He started uh, putting his army together. And it seemed like his brand of socialism, which is in fact fascism, it seemed like it was a good thing. And so he had the stamp of approval, not only of a number of Protestant ministers, but he also had the approval of the Catholic Church. But Bonhoeffer recognized there was something not right with this picture. He understood that the doctrines of Hitler and the Nazis was very much contrary to Scripture, contrary to the Word of God. And while other pastors embraced this new socialism, Bonhoeffer stood up against it. In fact, it put Bonhoeffer in a new category because no longer was Bonhoeffer just a pastor. He actually became a spy because he understood that the, that the teachings, the philosophy of Hitler was going to undermine not only the society, but it would undermine the church. And he began to preach out and speak out against Hitler. And as Hitler's power increased, and as Hitler got to the place where he was able to actually take over the country, and by the way, it was a coup. When he took over the country, Bonhoeffer quickly became public enemy number one. And it wasn't long before he was thrown into jail. Now, Bonhoeffer's message is that the church has got to guard itself against cheap grace. Cheap grace is the idea or the notion that we can, we can reconfigure Scripture, we can reconfigure the truth and make it fit into our own worldview, our own philosophy, our own understanding. And this is the thing that Bonhoeffer was speaking out against. He says we cannot compromise the truth. We cannot compromise grace the grace that God has given us, the grace that God has shown to us. We cannot compromise it. And so he came out with uh, this this fantastic uh, little quip. Cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. We are fighting today for costly grace. Now this goes back to, uh, to the war era, the Second World War era. It's a long time ago. For those of us who think that the battle that we're facing right now is something new, it's not. In fact, as Solomon says, there's nothing new under the sun. Satan is at war against the truth, and Satan will always be attacking the truth. 
We as Christians need to do everything in our power to guard our hearts and our minds. And you, some of you, if you were at the class, you remember that, uh, that I quoted uh, a, a, a very prominent apologist who said, we have made a big mistake in our preaching of the gospel. He said, we've gone after people's hearts, but we have neglected their minds. And the wonderful thing that you're going to see about, about God is that God engages the brain. Some churches may ask you to park your brain at the door. God says, don't do that. In fact, he says to Israel, come, let us reason together. Let's figure this out. And I'm going to show you what's true, what's right. So we understand that grace is <laughs> it's a big umbrella. There's, a, there's, there's so much that we could say about grace today. But the main thing that you need to understand is God's grace really is encapsulated in the gospel. And so last week we talked about the good, or two weeks ago we talked about the good news, which said that we are saved by grace alone, by God's grace alone, by faith alone. And Paul tells us, he reminds us, that it's by grace alone because God doesn't want to put you in a position where you could actually boast about how spiritual you are, how godly you are. And by the way, some of us think, yeah, you know those Catholics with their, with their penance and their bowing and their climbing up the, chair, the stairs on their knees and, and just showing off how spiritual they are? You know, we, we shake our heads and point our finger, but folks, we do the same thing by how demonstrative we are in worship. Everybody's, I've seen this. People, I, I saw it in Bible school. I've seen it so many times. People with their hands in the air, they're singing, and the next thing you know, they're, they're doing this. Who are you doing that for? So what we want to do, uh, we want to focus on what God expects of us. We need to understand God's calling on our lives. So we talked about the good news and we talked about good theology, a theology that says that my salvation is not based on my merit or on the merit of the saints. And I can't get merit from, from the, the holy relics and the bodies of deceased godly Christians. I can't get merit like that. Huh. Who do we get our merit from? from Christ alone. Three popes back, John Paul II, he wanted to elevate the Virgin Mary to a position of co-redemptrix with Christ. Now, the Bible's clear that Jesus Christ is our Redeemer and our Savior. Amen? Amen. We all are in agreement with that. But... That pope, because he loved Mary so much, wanted to put her on, a, on an equal level with Christ. Here's what we need to understand today. Good theology produces good Christian behavior. Bad theology produces problem Christians. It produces wackiness. It produces error, confusion. So what we want to do is we do not want to cheapen grace in any way. In fact, we want to fight today for costly grace. That is the true grace of God revealed in Jesus Christ. We recognize today that there is no other name under heaven given by God by which we must be saved. Amen? Amen. 
So this is what we're looking at. We're looking at, we're focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if a person has responded to the gospel and has embraced good theology, that is, he's living according to Scripture, what kind of a life does this produce? What difference does it make if you have good theology or not? What difference does it make whether or not you go to the right church or not? What difference does it make if you embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ or embrace another gospel? And by the way, Paul says that if somebody else comes along and presents another gospel, a gospel other than what he presented, he says, let that person be condemned, let them be accursed. In other words, he's saying, let them go to hell. Very shocking language. But this is how passionate this Paul is about this, and this is how important it is. We need to understand that. So what difference does it make? What kind of a life does it produce? Well, Paul, the Apostle Paul, by the time he gets to verse 10 in Galatians 1, here's what he says. He says, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Now, I'm going to just say before I go any further, this verse saved my life. This, surf, this verse was one of the most important verses in my whole entire uh, Christianity. After, myself, after the verses on salvation that we find in Romans, sometimes called the Romans Road, this is the verse that shaped the way that I live. So I'm telling you today, your theology matters. And whether or not you uh, embrace the right gospel truly matters. And by the way, in case you don't know what gospel means, it simply means good news. The good news that Jesus Christ has come to save us. So Paul says, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. Let me just read this to you. In Galatians chapter 1, and wouldn't you know what? I forgot my glasses. But here we go. Ready? If you could just hold this for me. <laughs> Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. Did you get that? Really important to understand that. It's, it, yes, there is reason there, but it's not from humans. It's from God. It's, it's the mind of God. I received my message from no human source, and so no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors, and so it caused Paul to go around killing Christians and destroying churches or at least he tried. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Did you get that? The power of God's grace. Some of you are here today, and you are very much aware of the fact that you are here today because of God's grace. Right? You're here because of God's grace. And those of you who don't understand that, this is a wake-up call to you. You're here because God enabled you God found you. Remember, we said that Jesus Christ said, I've come to seek and to save what was lost. 
and he found you. This is the grace of God in action. And so Paul says, I, I was, even before I was born, God chose me, called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. Did you get that? We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But God's grace enabled him to go and proclaim the good news, the, the gospel, to the Gentiles. Not just the Jews, the Gentiles needed to hear this message. But who are the Gentiles? You and me. Anybody who's not Jewish is a Gentile. The word Gentile comes from, uh, it's a Latin, it comes from the nations. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. And the only other apostle that I met at the time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I'm writing to you is not a lie. After that visit, I went north into the province of Syria and Cilicia, and still the Christians in the churches in Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew was that people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy, and they praise God because of me. That is the gospel of God's grace. He takes a murderer and turns him into a preacher. <clears throat> who can understand this? Hey, let me just say something to you this morning. If you don't understand if you don't understand your need of God's grace, then you can't be a Christian. It's not possible. If you can't understand your need of a Savior, then you will not find yourself running to Him or worshiping Him. You need to come face to face with your own, first of all, your own mortality, but more seriously, you need to come face to face with your own sin and your own capacity for sin. And so this is what we're hearing from the Apostle Paul. If anybody knows he's a sinner, it's Paul. In fact, do what he says. He says, actually, of all the Christians, in all the churches, in all the world, I'm the worst of them all. And yet, the Apostle Paul is arguably the greatest apostle that ever lived and is arguably one of the, the greatest Christians that ever lived. Folks, I want you to see something here. This is the grace of God in action. What God did for the Apostle Paul, he can do for you. So we talked about good news. We talked about good theology. And today I want to talk to you about good validation. I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servants. So here's the thing that I know about everybody in this room today. There is something that we all have in common. First of all, it's our need of a Savior. But on our side, every single person here has at least this desire to please people. I hear people say to me, you know, Pastor Alan, I have, I have unique, uh, unique struggles. 
I don't, my struggles are a little different than other people's. I said, oh, how is that? Well, I have, I have a need to please people. I'm a people pleaser. And I, I'm smiling on the inside. I'm thankful the person has got some kind of insight about himself or herself. But here's the thing. Everybody in this room is by nature a people pleaser. We all want to belong. Even those who say, I'm a hermit, I can't stand people, even they want to, they, they really want to belong. They want to fit in. They don't want to stand out. It reminds me of Sesame Street. One of these things is not like the others. I'm not going to sing it. That, that would just be painful. One of these things just doesn't belong. Can you tell which thing is not like the others by the time I finish my song? So all, all our lives, those of my generation and, and younger, we, we've all grown up wanting not to be the one that doesn't belong. <laughs> we want to fit in. We don't want to be different. We want to be just like everybody else. Paul is writing this letter to the Galatians who who actually were angry at Paul. He, they wanted Paul to fit in. They wanted Paul to fit into their way of thinking. And Paul comes up swinging. I mean, really, of all the letters that Paul writes, he is the sternest in this letter to the Galatians. These Judaizers, as Paul calls them, they want Christians to keep all the laws. Now, at the time that, that this was written, the Jewish people were keeping 613 laws, or trying to. That's why when, if you go to Jerusalem today, or Israel, anybody, any, any Jewish man that is trying to keep the law actually doesn't work for a living. He sends his wife to work so that he can, he can just study the Bible all day long and then try to keep the laws. Now, I will say this today, thankfully, there's not 613 they have to keep. Now there's only 369 because there's no temple. So we got it down to 369. But the only way that they can keep these laws, these rules, is by not going to work. They have to sit and study the Bible and try to keep all the laws and keep track. Am I getting them all right? And so you can see what a hopeless religion this is. It leaves everybody feeling hopeless. And by the way, if you have to work for a living, like the average Jewish person, there's no way that you can be a good Jew. Now, this is precisely what the Apostle Paul is attacking in the Galatians, who believed that they could please God by keeping all the laws. In fact, what they were suggesting is that Paul was making it far too easy to be a Christian. You're making it too easy, Paul. You've got to make it tough. Make them work for it. Make sure they don't break any laws. What the Galatians didn't realize is what they were doing is they were nullifying the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And this is why the Apostle Paul says, if anybody comes preaching another gospel, let them be accursed. Let them go to hell. In fact, these Judaizers wanted all of the new Gentiles, those are not Jewish, they wanted all the new Gentile believers to be circumcised. And the Apostle Paul is so angry at this, and you can read about it yourself. He says, he, well, I'm not going to, you read it yourself. It's, it's too, uh, too explicit. So Paul's under attack. 
They do not understand the good news, and they do not therefore have good theology. Good news, good theology produces a desire for a good validation. I'm trying to look, I'm trying to win the approval of God, Paul says, not of people. I don't care what you Judaizers say. In fact, Paul goes head to head even with the apostles. He's not budging on this. Hey, you know what? They were saying to Paul, Paul, why don't you just fit in? Stop being a troublemaker. I get that. I get that. I, I, I have had to go through this. I've been in the ministry now, this is going to be hard to believe, since 1983. Uh, interned in 1982. Before that, I taught Sunday school since I was 15. And there's constant, constant pressure uh, on us pastors, especially if you're a young pastor, to fit in, to get on the bandwagon with whatever fad is going through town. Now, anybody who's been in this church for any length of time, you know that Alan Duncalf will never get on a bandwagon. That's, that's my rebellion. <laughs> that's how I rebel. I'm not getting on a bandwagon. And I have seen pastors and, and I've seen teachers come and go through the city. I remember in the 1980s, Clarence, uh, no, not Clarence, Peter Wagner, uh, he was doing a seminar on church growth. And I'm going to tell you right now that this is not biblical. Church growth is biblical, but I'm not the one that can do that. Jesus said to the, to the apostle Peter, that upon his confession of Jesus Christ as the Messiah, Jesus said, on that confession, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. In other words, the gates of hell, hell will not win. My job, Jesus tells me, is to grow Christians, to build Christians. It's called discipleship. And as I build true disciples, true followers of Christ, people who have embraced the good news and the good theology, these are the ones that become good disciples. And as we produce good disciples, then God builds his church. Did you get that? There is a prosperity gospel. God wants everybody to be rich. Isn't that amazing? Because Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Interesting, isn't it? Jesus tells us clearly, you cannot serve both God and money. And so the prosperity teaching says, you can have God and money. But Jesus warns, you will either love the one and hate the other, or vice versa. You can't love God and money, but yet this prosperity gospel, which is another gospel, tells us that we can have it all. Not biblical. These teachers would say that God wants you to be rich, but my Bible tells me that God wants me to be like Jesus. Hello? Good theology produces good Christians, Christians who are looking for the approval of God and not of people. I remember the false faith movement, where if you didn't have, an, you, the way that you could get God to act is by having enough faith. A total perversion of Scripture and a misunderstanding of what faith is. So if you, just, if you could just grip your faith and get enough faith and tweak your faith and get your faith bigger and greater and, and huger, then you could get God to do whatever you tell him to do. 
new car God, a new house God, new rings God, totally not biblical. I had, we had people leave this church because I preached out against that. There was a movement, the fighting demons, spiritual warfare. That was a big movement. Kind of died out. I don't know if the demons gave up, but. Inner healing. Man, you could spend the rest of your life trying to heal what's going on in your heart. But I'm going to tell you, folks, this notion of this idea that I can renovate myself is utter nonsense. It's not biblical. God does not renovate you. What God does is he says, if you want to follow me, then you have to die. So rather than renovating you, he just knocks it all down and starts over. Hallelujah. I'm a new creation. I'm not a renovation. Can you just say that with me? I'm a new creation. I'm not a renovation. Hallelujah. Has anybody ever renovated a house? You know there's no end to this. And some of you are laughing because you are going through it right now. It just doesn't end. But man, when you surrender your life to Christ and let God get a hold of your heart and your mind and your spirit, whoa, you're a brand new creation. And God keeps you new and fresh and alive and vibrant, enabled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So look at if you want to, if you want to try to tweak the old you, then you have to go see a psychiatrist or a psychologist. But if you want to become a brand new creation, if you want to be transformed, then this is the right place for you to be. Because here's the place where you're going to hear the gospel that will change you, what will transform you and make you into the image of the Son of God. You say, Pastor Owen, I can't be like Jesus. No, you can't, but the Spirit of God living in you can enable you to do that. So that's, that's been my struggle. And I can tell you, I cannot tell you how many debates and arguments I've had with various ministers and Christians over the years. But I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be a Christ's servant. At Cross Church, we are committed to making disciples. That, if anybody wants to know what our vision is, that's it. Why is it our vision? Because it's the vision that Jesus gave us. Go into the world and make disciples. That's it. We don't need to turn to McDonald's or to IBM to get ideas for visions and for mission statements. Jesus gave it to us. It's called the Great Commission. It's called the Great Commandments. That's who we are. That's what it's all about. So here's the thing. Most of us are, in fact, people pleasers by nature. What you need to understand today is that God is calling you to stop it. Tell the person beside you, stop it. <laughs> stop it. Stop trying to please people and understand that the calling on your life is to please. <laughs> I meant to do that. God wants you to be a, a pleaser of God, winning his approval. 
very early I said to you in my Christian life, I, I found that verse, and it absolutely revolutionized my life. And here's why. Because I, I was constantly feeling pressured to do things that I knew were not acceptable to God. They were not necessarily bad things, but they were not in keeping with Scripture. But sometimes it was bad. This verse helped me stand up against the peer pressure that everybody faces. And by the way, anybody that has this notion and this idea that peer pressure, it's just for youth. You're so wrong. People of every age, of every era, struggle with peer pressure. How many know what I'm talking about? I don't care how young you are, and I don't care how old you are. This is something we all face. Now, look at If your hunger and your desire is to please people, well, the Bible is clear. You cannot be a servant of Christ. And this verse gave me permission to say no to my peers and the pressure that they presented. This verse saved me a lot of grief from the pressures of joining the fads that go through the church, which I've just shared with you. It gave me strength to make big decisions, hard decisions. How many know that as Christians, we're constantly making hard decisions? If we were people pleasers, we'd just go with the crowd. It gave me wisdom to be a leader in my home and in my church. If I was trying to please people, it would be a very different game. I just try to make people happy, just kind of appease people, just keep everybody, everybody, it's okay, we'll be fine. Don't, don't change, stay the way you are. What kind of a faithful preacher would I be? I wouldn't be faithful. If I was telling people, you don't have to change, stay the way you are. It's, it's uh, enabled me to give advice that goes against the popular ideas of the day. This verse is meant that I've lost some close friends because my allegiance was to God first and theirs was not. And by the way, I'm going to tell you something. Jesus is very clear about this. What fellowship, uh, Paul is, what fellowship does darkness have with light? What are you doing hanging out with people who are not believers? Anybody who knows me knows that I have a deep love for people. My staff especially know that I don't want people to hate me. I want everybody to love me. Amen. Please, I beg you, love me. <laughs> but listen, if you're going to be a pastor, this is not going to happen. And I'm going to tell you why. Because what I'm preaching, what I'm teaching you is the Word of God. And human nature is to rebel against God. We're going to rebel against God. We're going to rebel against the messenger. You've heard the expression, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just the messenger. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. My job is to preach the gospel, even when it means that people are not going to love me. Oh, hey, I'm a people pleaser as much as every single person in this room. But by God's grace, he gives me the strength and the courage to do what I have to do and to preach hard sermons, to preach messages that go against what you might expect. God has called every single Christian here to obey him and to do as well. Does everybody understand this? If you're a Christian today, this next verse I want to share with you is especially for you. And here's what, here's what it says in Proverbs. Fearing people is a dangerous trap. What happens when you fear people? You do whatever they want you to do. 
But trust in the Lord means safety. What's going to keep you safe from, from the attacks of Satan? What's going to keep you safe from the philosophies and the ideas of this world is that you don't care what people think. You only care what God thinks because fearing people is a dangerous trap. Jesus picks up on this notion, on this idea, in Luke 12, 4 to 5. Now, this is really quite shocking. He says, dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot do any more to you after that. But I tell you, I'll tell you whom to fear. Fear God who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yes, he's the one to fear. Don't fear people. That's a trap. It's a dangerous trap that's going to lead you down a wrong path and get you into serious trouble. And we, all of us, have got our stories to tell of how we got into trouble when we were more concerned about the opinions of, of our friends and our family than we were about God's opinion. How many would say amen to that? We all know what we're talking about. But the good news is that by God's grace, you can live the life that God has called you to live. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Serving Jesus, following Christ, is a radical proposition. You can't live this way in your own strength and your own power. I know some of you are thinking to yourself, I can't live like this. And you're right, you can't. But thanks be to God, he has given us his spirit, his Holy Spirit, who lives within us. Holy Spirit. Holy meaning to be separated. Separated unto God, not separated unto your friends. Does this make sense? So we're not, we're not worried about what people think of us. What we're especially concerned about is that we're looking to obey God. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Luke 12, 8 to 10. I tell you the truth. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, the Son of Man will also acknowledge in the presence of God's angels. But anyone who denies me here on earth will be denied before God's angels. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. Stop trying to please people. Let them say whatever they want to say. Let them do whatever they want to do because they cannot do any more than, than that to you. But I'll tell you to whom to fear. Fear God. Hey, this is the opposite of cheap grace, which is what Bonhoeffer was talking about. This, this grace that we're talking about, it, it, it's a call to radical discipleship where you would say, I would rather die than go against the will of God. And the, Nazi, the Nazis and the Nazi, Nazi Christians, remember, there's no such thing as a hyphenated Christian. These people called themselves Nazis. These people called themselves Christians. They, they embraced a cheap grace that said, I'm going to change my beliefs slightly. I'm going to tweak them a little bit so they're not so antiquated. I'm going to tweak them a little bit so that I can fit in because the fear of Hitler was greater than the fear of God. Did you hear that? I think that's an inspired word right there. The fear of Hitler was greater than the fear of God. This morning, let me ask you a question. What do you fear?
I'm telling you right now, if you're fearing people and you want to fit in and your peers and all the rest of that, and I don't want to lose my job and I don't want to lose my money and I don't want to lose my position, I don't want to lose my fortune and my, I don't want to lose my reputation, I don't want to, listen, you have to make a decision. This is why Jesus says, if anybody wants to come after me, count the cost. It's only a fool that sets out to build a, a tower, but halfway through realizes, I don't have enough money. How many people do that? Start out, I'm going to be a Christian, but it turns out they don't have enough. And so it all collapses and falls apart. Hey, folks, what we're preaching here at Cross Church is not a cheap grace. It's a costly grace, a grace that was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a grace that comes through absolute 100% sacrifice and obedience to Jesus Christ. Now listen to these words and we're going to close. Paul says, But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me. Look at this. So that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to those who are not Jewish. That's you. That's you. Because a man was willing to say, I'm willing to go against my fellow man. I'm, he was willing to fight the apostle Peter, whom the Catholics called the first pope. He was willing to fight him even for the truth. Because of his faithfulness, you and I have the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because there's a man who feared God and not man. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we need your grace today. We need your grace, and we want to just yield to your grace, because your grace is always there. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells us that your grace is sufficient for us. It's all we need. So this morning, oh God, we want to just surrender to your will and purpose. Forgive us, Father, for worrying about what people think. Forgive us, oh God, for being more concerned about what our friends and our family think. And help us now, we pray, to live out this radical Christianity. Help us to understand, Father, that it really is a matter of life and death because we want your validation. We want, we want to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said it? Amen. Tell the person beside you, go in the grace of God.